Welcome to Kuhau Podcast. We thank you for tuning in. If this is your first time listening in with us, we want you to know that you are a part of a new loving family. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope that this message encourages you and transforms your life. Now stay tuned for today's message. All right, are you ready? Uh, I was thinking about the words, uh, and I'm going to, I don't know, if you're taking notes, get out your phones, get out pens, papers. Uh, I'm going to give a couple different stories in the Bible and talk about uh, this thought about uh, being a trust fund kid. And when you hear the term trust fund kids, right, you think of snotty little rich kids that uh, they, they, they do whatever they want, and uh, they're really playing with daddy's money. There's no consequence. They run up the credit cards. Uh, they live however they want. They take over all the hipster uh, neighborhoods. And uh, they're really just, there's no consequences because daddy's got a ton of money and they're going to live however they want. And I said, what if we redefined that term uh, and put an emphasis on the trust and talk about living off of daddy's money and that we have a father that has all the resources and all the provision and all the funds we could possibly imagine to have, but not being proud, but being humble and saying, this is my daddy's money. I'm going to live a, a wise and stewarded life. Humble. I'm not going to worry about anything. I'm going to trust him in every single season because I know that my father has all of the provisions and all the funds and all the money and all the resources that I could possibly need in any situation. So uh, there's a couple trust fund kids in the Bible that I want to talk about today. I want to talk about this, this thought about giving. I'm, I, honestly, I'm, I'm not saying that I'm honestly excited about the challenge to give. I'm excited. We do this at Christ Tabernacle. Uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, I'm from Christ Tabernacle. Sorry, I, I, I forgot to say that. Uh, my parents are the senior pastors, uh, Pastor Michael and Maria Durso. It, it is worse when uh, your parents are the pastors because when you get called into the pastor's office, it's like double punishment. It's like counseling and papau. Uh, so it's like you just can't win. And then my kids uh, are sitting here, and this is the third generation. I'm excited about what they're going to do because my parents gave... I believe that we're here, me and my brothers are here, and because I believe that we've seen this example of giving and we give, I am so much more excited for what's, what's going to happen in the next generation. Uh, Valentine's Day passed recently, and uh, my, I have three daughters, 15, 12, and 10, and so every Valentine's Day, uh, they are my three dates, and we go uh, to a restaurant, uh, well, we started going to restaurants, and then None of them could decide what they want to eat. So uh, I said, you know what, guys? We're going to start a new tradition. Uh, everybody gets to pick whatever they want, whatever restaurant. I will run around the city, and I will go pick up whatever you want, and we'll go sit at home, and we'll have a nice meal, no arguing, and everybody has something different. And it's been working great. And So, uh, so a couple days before Valentine's Day, I said, girls, they were acting up, you know. Um, very uh, unusual for them. Uh, they were acting up, and I said, girls, and I was kidding, but I said, girls, I said, if, if you don't behave yourself after our date, there will be no cuddling. <laughs> is that weird? We're family. I'm going to let you know some secrets. Today is a couple things I'm going to tell you about me. I love to cuddle. Don't, don't judge me. I was going to say something, but we're not going to cuddle later. <laughs> and, um... 
My first, my, my, my oldest, the first one, I said I wasn't going to say which girl did what, but it is what it is. So the oldest was just like, I don't care because I wasn't going to cuddle with you anyway. The second one was like relieved because it's one less cuddle that she has to do. The third one was upset because she said, uh, no way, I'm your daughter, you're my dad, I can cuddle with you anytime I want. That's my baby, it's my, this one over here. And when I thought about that, I said, man, whenever we talk about, and I'm gonna just be honest, I'm gonna be open, whenever we talk about money, whenever a preacher brings up talking about money and giving, there's always three types of people in a room. Not this room, other rooms. But the first one is, the money's mine, everything I have is mine. When the offering plate comes around, I, I can give if I want to, but I don't, I don't have to. The second one is, okay, God said 10% is his, tithe is his, so I give my 10% because I have to, but then the rest is mine, I could do whatever I want to with the rest of it. And then the third one says, it's all his. The tithe, the offering, the munificent, the, the, everything is his. And so even after I give my 10% and I give my extra offering, I'm still wise and, and have to steward the rest of this money because it's not mine, it's all his. See, the first two groups are the money's mine and I share with God. And the third group is everything is his and he shares with me. I'm not the owner, he's the owner. And he shares with me and so I'm gonna trust him and I'm gonna live a life knowing that every single dollar that I have comes from him. And so I'm going to trust him with what he's entrusted me with and I'm gonna give back what he's commanded and I'm gonna step out in faith sometimes when some of these challenges come along and I'm gonna say, hey, uh, this is not mine and so I'm just going to let it go and then watch what God does with it because I know that he could do much more with what I have than I can trying to hold, hold on uh, and be the owner of things. And so I'm excited about this thought. I'm excited about talking about this culture of giving being, you know, we were extravagant in our worship. I mean, how amazing was worship before? But when we talk about giving, are we really extravagant in our giving? I mean, what if we were a church and a group of people that were extravagant not just in our worship because the music is awesome and the musicians are awesome, but what if we were extravagant in every other area, especially the area of giving because it's the, the least liked area to be extravagant in because you worry about the bills and believe me, I got plenty of bills, I got three daughters. And, but when I come to the terms that, hey, it's not mine, that I'm just gonna trust my father who's got all the resources to provide for my kids and college and sweet 16s and weddings. I want to light myself on fire when I think about that. <laughs> and so I, I give it to him and say, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm not going to worry about this. I'm not going to be depressed about it. I'm not going to, I want to be extravagant. I want to be liberal in my, in my giving. So we're going to read some verses. We're going to get into this. Uh, and then uh, I, I really pray that, that, that God does something in all of us in, in, the, in the atmosphere of giving. 
time, talent, treasures, whatever it is, and I'm believing for some amazing things. If you have your Bibles, we're going to open up to the book of Mark, chapter 3, and we're going to read six verses, and then we're going to pray, and we're going to talk about a few things. Mark, chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Again, he entered the synagogue, Jesus, he is Jesus. Again, Jesus entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, Pharisees, the people in the synagogue, he says, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent and he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. Would you close your eyes? Let's pray. Lord, help us to have an encounter with you that long outlasts this moment. Show us things we don't know. Speak to our reality. Speak to our situation. Help us to see things as you see them. Help us to respond to this call to action. People on your marks. Let's get set. Let's go. Amen. One of my favorite verses when I think about giving is this verse uh, found in Genesis chapter 8. Uh, and it's a very simple verse. It's, it's chapter 8, verse 22. If you take your notes, it says, As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. Seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. This is Old Testament. This is a mutable law of God. This is, this is uh, a law that the devil can't change and you can't change. There are four laws in this, in this one verse that none of us can change. The only thing we can do is adjust to it. If it's Hot, you take a jacket off. If it's cold, you put a jacket on. There's only one out of these four laws that God allows us to be a part of. There's one out of these four situations here that God actually includes in the process and depending on our seed time, we'll prove out to be the harvest. Depending on the sowing, we'll, 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 we'll be proven out in the reaping. Uh, uh, the, the, the seed time part and the harvest part is the only part of this verse that you and I get to be a part of. It's seed time and harvest. It's sowing and reaping, it's giving and getting, it's what you put in, is what you get out. And I love this verse because when you think about day and night and cold and heat and summer and winter, those things happen no matter what. Yet seed time and harvest doesn't happen no matter what. It only happens if you and I do something about it. Uh, I'll tell you another thing that is embarrassing, a little bit, but whatever. Um, 
One of the things that I loved to do uh, when I was growing up, and I looked forward to it, and as winter was passing, uh, I, was, I, was, I was just looking forward to spending time with my dad, and one of the things that him and I did, uh, very um, personal, was we would decorate or, or, or uh, uh, do all the flowers in our backyard. I mean, we went like just over the top, like every year trying to surpass uh, the previous year, what colors we were gonna do, what, what massive constructions we could build with all these flowers and plants and trees, and I just loved it. And so one year, uh, I told my dad, I said, hey, Pop, I said, what if we planted some stuff uh, like, uh, you know, basil or tomatoes or lettuce or something like that. And he said, all right, that's a good idea. And so uh, we looked for a space and we carved out a certain space. And uh, what we did was basil. We're Italian and so we love pesto sauce and uh, we love tomatoes. And so, uh, so we did the Italian stuff. And uh, one of the things uh, was the basil. And so uh, we bought the seeds and my dad got the seeds and he tore the package open and he put it in my hands and he says, all right, spread it out. And so I spread out all the seeds. And then every single day I'd run to this space and waiting for something to happen. Now I couldn't see it with my eyes, but obviously something was happening beneath the surface. And then finally as something budded out, uh, something came out from the ground. I was like getting more excited and more excited because I said, something is happening. There's a process going on. And then as it, 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 it grew and grew and grew, I just kept getting more excited until finally my father said, hey, uh, son, it's finally ready. And so we picked all the basil leaves and we washed them and we put them on paper towels and we put them, uh, I remember, on our table in the sun so they could dry out. And then that night, I called a family meeting. I said, guys, we're having a family dinner. Nobody's allowed to miss. And I set the table and I put all the plates. I put the nicest china that we had out and I put the forks and the spoons and the, the knives and the cups and I put out all the drinks and I put the bread and I cut the bread and the mozzarella and the roasted peppers. Anybody getting hungry? And, and the prosciutto and, right? I, I, we went nuts with it and my dad made, made the, the pesto sauce and we made the pasta and as we sat there I remember before I even took a bite I was watching at everybody's face taking a bite because I was, I was like man I was a part of that I was a part of the process I was the one that actually put the seeds in the ground and now people are smiling because they're being blessed they're being they're, they're, guys guys they're being benefited because I, I actually put the seeds in the ground. And I think about what would have happened had I held the seeds in my hand? What would have happened had I not let go of those seeds? What would have happened had I kept those seeds in my hands? I would be staring at dirt, waiting for something to start that I didn't start. I'd be waiting to see something when I didn't seed something. But because I let it go, I could let it grow. Because I released the seeds out of my hands, not only was I blessed, but everybody in my family was blessed because the seeds aren't for me. The fruit isn't for the tree, right? It's for everybody else and the seeds for the next generation. And so this is a generational thing. This is, this is not just so that I'll be blessed, so that others could be blessed. And 
That gets me excited knowing that I've got seeds in my hands and I have the power to release them so that a process can start and it could bless somebody else. And when I think about this guy with the withered hands, I think about this story where Jesus walks into a withered synagogue with a withered religion and finds a guy with a withered hand. And he walks in and completely other sermon, you know, obviously religion jumps in the way and they say, sorry Jesus, today's the Sabbath and you can't do anything. And Jesus pretty much shuts them up and shuts them down and uh, I don't have time to go into that. But he looks over at this guy who has a problem, who has an issue. He's got a withered hand. How it looks, I don't know. I mean, how deformed was it? I don't know, but obviously there was an issue there. And he says, come here, he calls him closer, he says, hey, get close to me. I, I want everybody to be able to see this because he was proving a point. And then he says, stretch out your hand. Now when you think of a hand, Hand represents power. Hand represents authority. Hands represent manual labor, what you're able to gain your finances with. Represents being able to hold on to something, grasping something, stopping something, defending yourself with. I mean, hands represent a lot, and this man who had this issue was unable to defend himself, was unable to hold on to things, was unable to grasp things, was unable to reach for things. He had no authority, he had a problem, he had an issue, and there were things that he saw that he couldn't hold on to. There were things that he saw that he couldn't reach for because of the position of his hand. And, and when you think about seed time and harvest, there's, there's, there's a stretching that goes out, right? There, there's this... There's this motion of this stretching as you have the seeds in your hand and you're releasing it. There's this, there's this stretching that, that happens. And Jesus says, hey you, you with the problem, I want you to come here. I want you to come close to me. And I want you to stretch out your hands. What, Jesus, are you joking? Like, I've been unable to do this for so long, I haven't been able to hold on to things, and now you're asking me to do thing, something that I can't do, something that I haven't been able to do. You're asking me to reach for something I haven't been able to reach before. You're asking me to grab onto something that I haven't been able to grab onto before. Are you joking? I mean, you've got all these doubting, Bible-throwing people around, and all these skeptic and, and suspicious people, and you're asking me to do something that I haven't been able to do before. And Jesus is like, yeah, I'm asking you to stretch out your hand. And what I love about it, it says, he stretches out his hand and his hand was restored. The miracle happens after the man stretched out his hand. So Jesus said, do something. The man acted in obedience, his, his sowing, his seed time was obedience, and his harvest and his reaping was a miracle. Because he obeyed and trusted Jesus, he reaped a miracle. It didn't happen when Jesus said it. 
It happened when the man actually stretched out. There had to be some faith, there had to be some trusting that because Jesus said it, it's going to get done. I mean, could you imagine being in this situation where all these people are looking at you very suspicious and Jesus says, stretch out your hand, do something you haven't been able to do in a really long time, do something that you can't do and because you had enough faith and enough trust to actually listen, did it hurt? What happened? Did skin have to grow? Did I mean, when you think about a withered hand, when I think about it, what actually happened? Did things get unstuck? Did things actually just start to grow in the moment? Did things actually start to get stretched more than his action of just putting out his hand? Did some stuff on the inside, underneath, did things actually start to happen underneath? Because the man stepped out in faith, because he was a trust fund kid, because he actually started to trust in his father that had the resources to do what he couldn't do. Is it possible that some of us haven't received our miracle because we haven't stretched out enough? Is it possible that some, some of us haven't received the harvest because we haven't seed timed enough? This is a personal thing. I pray as a church that Kuhau reaches Staten Island and Brooklyn and Ohio and Africa. I mean, I pray that this church goes way beyond these four walls. That this is, that this 15,000, I mean, this thing grows to. But us as individuals, This is a personal thing right now. I'm not asking anybody to say, yeah, man, I, I, I could stretch a little bit more. This is between you and God right now. This is, this is God saying, hey, come here. Would you get close to me? Are there things in your life that you haven't been able to do? Are there things in your life that you haven't been able to hold on to or grab onto or reach out for? Could it be that, I'm, that Jesus is asking you right now to stretch out just a little bit more? You know, it's crazy when we think about so many stories in the Bible where Jesus says to do something and obviously he doesn't need what he's saying for, for him to do the miracle, yet he always includes us in the process. Hey, uh, we're at a wedding and there's no more wine. And so, uh, guys, I need you to fill up these big jars with water. Like, um, Jesus, talk about stretch. That's a stretch. Uh, we need wine. We don't need water. I don't think these guys are drunk enough to think that this is white wine. <laughs> Peter says, uh, we got to pay the taxes. Great, Peter. What I want you to do is I want you to go fishing, not like you normally fish with nets and everything and in the boat. I want you to just take one line and throw it out and the first fish you catch, look in his mouth. That doesn't make sense. All right, you see, this is Israelites. You, you come into the promised land and your first enemy is Jericho. Uh, here's what I want you to do. I want you to walk around the wall 13 times and then yell at it. 
Moses goes to God and says, God, we need water for millions of people. And he says, great, strike a dry rock. There's 20,000 people here, 5,000 plus men and children, uh, plus women and children, 5,000 men plus women and children. And I want you guys to provide lunch. Wait, God, uh, Jesus, you didn't tell us to bring lunch for 20,000 people. I know, but I'm stretching you. As if he really needed the five loaves of bread and the two fish, as if he really needed a dry rock, as if he really needed to, for them to walk around the wall and shout at the wall, as if he really needed some jars filled with water, as if he really needed a fish with the money in it. But he says, I want to include you in the process. There's some things that are happening beneath the surface so that when it comes out and as you stretch out of the ground, oh, it's not just going to bless you, but it's going to bless so many people around you, all those people that come in contact with you. It's going to benefit them and bless them. And when I think about some people, some trust fund kids in the Bible, I think about the woman who gave the perfume. Jesus comes to this place and he goes to Simon the leper's house and I always thought that was kind of funny because had Simon still had leprosy, nobody would have, be, would have been allowed in his house, right? So it was really a nickname, a really bad nickname that got stuck with Simon. Talk about things of your past sticking to you and labeling you, different sermon. Then I think, could this be one of the guys that Jesus healed of leprosy? And he was just like, man, you don't know what he did for me. I'm going to open up my ha house, hashtag small groups. Uh, and do you guys do small group? What do you call it? Small groups. Because you don't know what he did for me. And so I'm going to open up my house. And then in this setting, there's a woman. Mark doesn't tell us who it is, but John tells us that it was Mary. And this is Mary who saw uh, her brother dead for days, and then Jesus walks into the picture, and Jesus heals her brother. This is the Mary that was crying over her dead brother, but watches Jesus heal her brother and bring her brother back to life. And she's like, man, you don't know what he did for me. And she takes her perfume, and she breaks the whole thing. She gives it all. This in light that the cross hadn't happened yet. This in light that she hasn't seen the sacrifice that Jesus was about to give. This in light that she hadn't seen all that Jesus was going to give because Jesus gave it all. She gives it all before she even knows that Jesus is about to give it all. But she has this experience with Jesus. And there's this extravagant giving. There's this trust factor that comes into the room and she says, man, if I save this perfume and I use it for me, it's not going to last. But if I put it on him, it's going to last. And we're talking about it 2,000 years later. She was extravagant in her giving. Trust fun kid. I think about the woman says there was a poor widow. We don't know her name. All it says is she was a poor widow. I mean, talk about a rough situation. No money, no love. 
She's been through some stuff. She's been through hard times. She's been through poverty. Husbands died. She's all alone. She's got nothing left. She has two coins and says she gives everything she had. This in light of going through some some rough spots, some hard times, some disappointments in life. And yet she gives. She gives all she has. She's trusting. She gives it to God, her father. And we don't know what happens after that, but she was a trust fund kid. I'm going to end with this. One of my favorite trust fund kids. Guy's name's Obed-Edom. I'm going to ask the musicians to come up and help me. You know the story. It's in 1 Samuel where Israelites go against the Philistines and they lose the battle. And because they lost the battle, the Philistines stole the Ark of the Covenant and they take it back to Philadelphia. That's a joke. <laughs> and the Philistines uh, have their God next to the Ark of the Covenant. And every time they go into the room, their God is face down on the floor. And finally, right, the head is off and the arms are off. And Ark of the Covenant beats up their God. And so finally they're like, man, get this out of here. We want nothing to do with this. And so they take the Ark of, Co- Ark of the Covenant. They send it back across the border. And... They bring it to a guy's house named Abinadab, and they just say, hey, just leave it here. And it stays there for 100 years. And then finally, later on, David becomes king, and he's in Jerusalem, and he says, the presence of God, the Ark of the Covenant, which represented the presence of God, needs to be in the city of God, so let's go get that thing and bring it back over here. They go get it. They don't do it right. They mess up. One of Abinadab's sons dies. And on the way there, they're like, man, we did it wrong. There's death. Something went wrong. And so they look around and they find another house. They said, let's go stash it in that house until we figure out what to do. And it happens to be that this house is Obed-Edom's house. And Obed-Edom says, sure, you can use my house. He gives his house for God's house. This represented the presence of God, where God dwelled. He gives his house the space. And because he gave his house for God's house, God builds his house. And, he sa- and the, the, the verses say that everything in Obed-Edom's household prospered. Now check this out. I love this. This is my favorite. You ready for this? Guys, you ready for this? First Chronicles chapter 15, you read that chapter you, re- you, you find every place where it says Obed-Edom's name, so you know that I'm not making this up. You read the whole chapter 15, and then you go 16 verses 1 through 6, and you will see some pretty cool stuff. And so David finally hears about that Obed-Edom's house is so blessed and so prosperous. He says, man, we need that over here. Let's go get that thing. Let's do it right. And so they go back to Obed-Edom's house, and while they're figuring it out and putting everybody in place, They said there are some things that got to get done before we move. And they said, okay, we need some doorkeepers. And you see Obed-Edom standing tall. I could keep a door. I could do that job. This is his house. 
He's had this thing for three months. His whole house is prosperous and blessed. And yet when they need somebody to wash the door, Obed-Edom says, hey, pick me, pick me. I'll do it. Then when you read in the verses, they said, we need some singers. Guess whose name is there? Good old E. He's over there saying, me, 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 me. Obed-Edom, we need singers. Obed-Edom's like, pick me, pick me, I can do that. Okay, Obed-Edom, you're going to watch the door and you're going to sing. Okay, I'm not making this up. Hey, we need some musicians. Guess whose name is in there? Obed-Edom goes and grabs his guitar, starts to tune it. Say, hey guys, pick me. I I'm here. I, I, I could do it. I could do it. Okay. Okay, Obed, you're getting a little crazy now. You're getting a little extravagant. All right. We'll let you be a doorkeeper and a singer and a musician. Now they're back in Jerusalem. And it says that they need people to minister before the ark. Make, petition, make petitions, give thanks, and praise the Lord. This is 1 Chronicles chapter 16. And you won't believe whose name pops up. 13 miles away, they said, we need some people to minister before the ark on a daily basis. Give thanks and praise the Lord. And guess whose name? 13 miles from his house, as if what he did wasn't already enough. This guy said, you have no idea what the presence of God did for me and my family. This is nothing. And then you read a couple verses after, and it says, we need some people to minister regularly according to each day's requirement. And guess whose name is there? Big O-E. And you say, O.E., this doesn't make sense. You can't commute 13 miles there and 13 miles back every single day. What are you thinking? You have your house and your kids and everything that you own is over there. This doesn't make sense. And O.E. is just like, man, you don't know what he did for me. And I don't know about you, but I am in such awe of what God has done for me, I can't believe that he would use me. I can't believe that he would save me and then say, Jordan, I have such a plan for your life. I have no idea why he died for me and that he would want to bless me. And I'm just saying, God, man, if I could give, if I could be counted as one of those people to serve giving my time, my talent, and my treasures. Count me in. I'm all in. I'm not going to worry about what it requires. I'm not going to worry about what it's going to tax me or, or, or what it's going to take from me. God, I just want to give. And when I think about these trust fund kids, I mean, could you imagine Jesus watching that poor widow? You would think he would say, no. She's only got two coins. I mean, did that really help the ministry? Like, you would think he would say, hey, keep that for yourself. And I could imagine Jesus nudging his guys saying, hey, look, the 
process is starting. The seed time and harvest thing I talked about in Genesis, hey, the process, there's something happening underneath the surface here that you don't even see, you don't even realize what's happening right now. Oh, but the sacrifice, the stretching, that stuff that's taking place, you have no idea what's happening in this moment. Hey, hey, look at that. The process is starting. Something's happening here. A woman that gives all her perfume. Hey, guys, look. Thing I talked about, someone reaping, seed time harvest. Look, look, it, it's starting. It starts underneath the surface. It starts way below where nobody else can see it. And then there's this stretching that takes place that breaks through the ground. And it's not just for us as individuals. Oh, but it goes so much farther. And I want to say, is there anybody in this room that says, man, I could stretch a little bit more. Oh, I could stretch a little bit more. I believe if Jesus is calling us as a church to do this, oh, I'm going to stretch a little bit more. I'm going to stretch that hand out. And I'm going to believe that as I stretch, that the process is starting, that Jesus is going to be involved and there's going to be a miracle that's going to be taking place, even though I don't see it in the very beginning. Oh, but I'm going to be a trust fund kid. I'm going to trust in my father that he's got all the resources to take care of all the other stuff. I'm going to step out. So if you would, we're going to worship a little bit. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Our mission here at Christ Uncensored House of Worship is to love God, love people, and love life. Kuhau is a place where our story is still being written. Together, we can do more than we can ever do alone. If this message has encouraged you and you wish to partner with us in taking this message all across the world, go to kuhau.com give or follow us on any social media platform. Thank you in advance for your support and generosity. Come and begin a whole new journey with us.